0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: This podcast was recorded in Brisbane, Australia, the land of the Turrbal, Yagura, and Yagurubal people. And we acknowledge all Elders past, present, and emerging. Hello, and welcome back to the Storytender Podcast. This is your host, Matt Young, and I'm bringing you a collection of stories that were recorded live at Arts in Brisbane, Australia in the month of September. So we've got four diverse storytellers for you tonight, and let's just kick off with our first storyteller. Fakuta Bushel is an actor and one of the founders of The Creatives Hub in Brisbane, Australia. She tells us a story of one of her dreams that she got to fulfill at the story, Chunder.
2: Thank you, Matt. And good evening, everybody. My name is Victor Kate, and I am a Brisbane-based actress. And I also do um, registered nursing, and that's what I do to pay the bills for all those actors that don't get the money and do things for free. <laughs> that's the side hustle. Um, but I have a passion and interest to sing. I watch um, Australian Got Talent, American Got Talent, British Got Talent, any shows to do with singing. And I said, I want to be like that. Because I see their passion, I see their craft. And uh, I said, I want to be on stage and I want to sing. So let me take you back three months. One morning I woke up and I had an idea. And I said, I can turn this into a song. And I thought about it. And I was like, this song reflects my life. This is the one. This is it. And I started imagining. I started imagining the music video. I could see the dances. I could see I could see it happening. I could feel it. I said, I'm gonna go with it. I canceled my shit that day. I went into the into the room, I got a pencil, I got a pad, I put my headphones on, there is nothing playing, I just wanted to feel like I had a writer, up song singer. <laughs> So I started writing, I played with the melody, I played with the lyrics, and I was like, this is it. So I went to the park, went for a walk, meditated, came back, kept writing, and I was like, yes, this is the one. I'm gonna be famous. So then I waited for my partner to come home, and I said, Gideon, I've written a song. Do you wanna hear it? He said, yeah, sing it. So I closed my eyes and I started singing. I was in the zone felt so good, I was in my element. I Open my eyes and I saw Gideon and his big smile, two thumbs up, and I said, this is the one, that's my confirmation, I'm gonna be famous, this song is gonna be on TikTok, the dance is gonna be on TikTok. My Instagram followers is going to grow. I'm going to put Brisbane on the map and I'm gonna have a number one hit. So I was really excited, I was super excited and I said, what do I need? I need a music producer. So coincidentally enough, my sister's dating a genius and he's a music producer. So I called that Patrick, and I said, Patrick, I've written a song, and this song is going to be a hit. If you agree to produce my song, people are gonna know your name. And he was like, you know what, come on, let's do it. So I went to his house, his studio, and I sang him the melody and and my vision for the song, and he's like, I'm gonna do the beats, you're gonna come back next week and we'll record the vocals. I was like, yeah, things are happening. It's just rolling, and I said, this is meant to be. Things like this don't happen for no reason. So I said, I'm gonna go all the way with this. So that week dragged on, the morning came, I woke up. I did what I think artists would do. We put the kettle on, have a warm cup of water, I think. Yeah, you see. This thing is over there, um, and then you have the honey, lemon, so you can help your vocals. I did my vocal range, and, you know, high and low, all that stuff. I meditated, got ready, went to um, the studio, I looked at the studio, he had set up everything. He had the mic, he had the microphone, uh, the headphones, I was like, wow, this is my dream. My dream is to be in the studio, I want to record my first song, my hit song. He's like, are you ready? I said, Patrick, I'm born ready. He's like, all right, so I got the the headphones. He said, are you ready? Let's go, he played it. and I started singing, closed my eyes. It felt good. Every word I was singing had meaning, had purpose. I was in my element, I forgot where I was and I was just belting it out. And I sang, and I sang, and I sang opened my eyes, looked at Patrick. He's like, I'm gonna need a couple of hours. You go out, I'll put it together, and I'll call you when I'm ready. Thumbs up, okay, cool. He called me. Are you ready to hear your song? I was like, yeah, play it. Press play. What's that? It's your song. I'm like, stop playing Patrick, play my song. It's your song, Kate. And I'm like, okay, no, that sounds like a constipated donkey. Uh, (laughs) Definitely not my voice. Just tear everything that you've done and play me my voice raw, please. I've worked on this. And he's like, I haven't done anything to it. I can't even edit it. The beats aren't even right. The melody. I said, that can't be right, I felt so good. I was in my element, I was singing. He's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> and at that moment, my dream to be a TikTok star is gone. <laughs> <laughs> my followers on Instagram will go down if I <laughs> <laughs>
3: And
2: I'm not gonna put Brisbane on the map. <laughs> And then I realized, looking back, Gideon smile that like yeah. went, wasn't like that, it was a, <laughs> <went for> it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, that, that's it, that's, that's my dream, gone, crumbled down. And then I thought about it, and I was like, you know what, I can take it two ways. I can say I'm a shit singer, and just leave it, or I can, you know what, work on it and make it a hit song anyway. Who gives a shit? So I said, Patrick, give me some time. I'm gonna find a vocal teacher and I'm gonna work on it and we're gonna make that hit song. He's like, oh, I'll be here. He, I'm dating your sister anyway. I can't be anywhere. So that was it and that's my story. And I still haven't found my vocal coach yet. But I'm going to give you a little. Oh, really? <laughs> thank Thanks, guys. But I'm going to give you a little um, snippet.
3: Oh, yeah. I'd like
2: you guys to stand up and clap to support me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to make it great.
3: Yes. You can start clapping now. Huh? I lost myself trying to find myself. I'm not going to give you any more. You have to go.
1: Watch Watch out, world. Here she comes. And I'll let you know uh, in a little secret, singing is becoming more of a regular thing at the Storytender. So watch out. Listen in for the future. Um, while this man does not sing, he has a lyrical Irish lilt, and of course I'm talking about a story Chunder favourite, Ian Dowling, and he's here to tell us a story about perspective and what happens when you go social dancing with your girlfriend.
4: Good evening everyone. Good evening. So, I've got to do you know a little secret tonight, it's um, basically that us Irish Canadians actually have a bit of an unfair advantage when it comes to comedy, um, and I thought it's important to say that, because you won't hear it usually, but the reason for it is because, so growing up in Ireland, for me anyway, at least, what it meant was a lot of religion growing up, a lot of, a lot of church, religion in school every day, and what that like, gave me was a, a good strong belief that I've been watched 24-7, <laughs> like all the time, whether you're out playing with your mates on the street, or like, masturbating five times a day, when you're a kid, as you do, on a weekday where you don't have a lot of time available. All has being watched by God and Jesus and Moses and pretty much everyone. All the lads were up there in like this kind of like a, like a seating arrangement. So when you get used to doing that all the time, it's pretty easy to get up and talk to some strangers. So that's like where the advantage comes in. Um, and my story tonight, I don't know if it's comedy or not, it might be. Um, it's the first time I've told a story. But one of the things that we didn't learn growing up in the Catholic upbringing is how to deal with your feelings, and emotions, and insecurities, and all those things. You know? It's, you're know. you kind of told well, you just pour beer on top of them, and maybe some mashed potato, and you push them down, and put some Guinness on top of that, and you just keep pushing them down, and they go down further, and they go down to a really dark place where they never come out again, um, if you're lucky. But look, we all know that that's not true. Like, we all know that they eventually come out, and they usually spill out on the floor when you at least want to see them. But yeah, and there's a lot of things that you can pour on top of them. You, know, you can keep pushing them down for years and years and years, and I thought I'd escaped it all, you know. Like I'm 34 now, and like 2018, I got to 32 and I thought That's pretty good. I'll, I'll be escaped all that stuff. I don't have to deal with insecurities. That's other people that have to deal with that. And, and I met a beautiful woman, fell in love with a beautiful woman from Cabana in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And we were on the Gold Coast where I live. We fell in love, and at the same day, I got a job in Melbourne. I thought, yeah, I've won a lot of here. Got a beautiful woman. Got a new job. I'll be escaped all that stuff that everyone else has to deal with. We moved down to Melbourne and we started having a really good life, like she had to go back to Brazil for a while and sort out her stuff, she was a doctor over there, she was in the military, and she had all the things that I didn't have, like, good education all it, so I thought that was great, you know, she makes me look better and everything's amazing. So we moved down to Melbourne, it's winter time, it's June in Melbourne, it's like Ireland, it's raining, it's windy, it's cold, and I thought, like, I want to make her feel better, you know, I had my job, I had my running club and different things, and she'd kind of given up everything, her friends and family, and she was starting out new, and I thought maybe like she was big into her samba dance. And I thought maybe if I can find a dance school and learn some dance moves, maybe then we can bond and make some new friends and everything will be amazing. So I started searching dance schools. I found a salsa school. And we booked in, it was Sunday night, and we we're going down into Richmond on a Sunday night. First dance class, I was excited, I had my shoulders back, my head held high. I thought, yeah, I'm the, the good boyfriend doing the right thing, you know, I'm gonna get heaps of brownie points for this. And we parked about 200 metres away, we're walking under the umbrella. Into the class, and we get to these big kind of wooden double doors. Like in a, it was kind of that churchy type vibe place, at the club. But it was also that churchy vibe. And we open up the doors, and we hear the Latino music going. And she's starting to move her hips, and she's smiling. She's got this beautiful colgate smile, and I'm kind of starting to feel a little bit weird, like a little bit scared. I don't know why. And as we start to walk down towards the dance floor, there's already people moving. And all of a sudden, I knew I was in trouble. There's this guy, and he's just. Floating across the dance floor. Like this guy, he, he didn't even look like he had a physical apparatus like separating like the bottom half of his body to the top half of his body. like there was a magic carpet in between. And he had like this Colgate smile like straight out of the factory. Like and like us Irish guys, like we, we do get a nice accent and we get away with everything because of it, but we don't get that Colgate smile that we get kind of things that look like static mites and static kites. There are things that come down out of a cave and they also grow up out of the ground. So there's all these kind of insecurities that are coming out of places like deeper than I ever knew existed, and I'm getting a fight or flight response and I'm thinking maybe I can just leave and she can marry him and everything will be okay. And, <laughs> and then like it, it's kind of like I've never seen any guy like this. He's like some guy in a movie. He's got a he's got a white single on and he's brown sculpted arms. It's like Michelangelo created his arms and then just like put him on top next to the Colgate smile. And then he just passes again sideways again, as if just to say, like, fuck you, like, I don't want to fuck your missus. So, like, I'm already thinking, like, he should probably marry my missus, like, he's way better than me. And then we get closer anyway, there's a few, maybe a Fabio, a couple of Rodrigo's and there's a heaps of like good looking women too, but I'm too insecure to even like, consider that that's happening. So, at this point there's still 11 minutes until the dance class starts. So I'm thinking like, this guy's a dickhead, he's like, just showing off. Like, yeah, there's music, but you could just sit like in the corner like everybody else and wait for the class to start. So, the class starts and I'm thinking, it'll be fine. Like, my girlfriend, she's very compassionate, caring, patient. Like Me and her, we'll be partners and we'll be all good, we'll bond. But I didn't understand how dance class works. Like, 30 seconds after you learn the first step, they say, move clockwise, and that's it. Your partner's gone for the rest of the class. So she's moving clockwise, I'm going the other way, I'm stepping on toes, I'm kicking shins, and I'm just kind of working out in my head the maths of how long it's going to take for her to be paired up with what's called Alejandro. I don't know that to tell you his name was Alejandro. That's not his real name, but that was the only name kind of sexy enough for this man. So I'm thinking, okay, it's another five moves, and then she's going to be paired up with him, and that's it, it's over. Like, they're definitely going to run away together. So I'm thinking, okay, look, I'm here for the relationship. I give myself a little bit of pep talk, and I get my head back in the game, but I'm still stepping on toes and kicking shins. It's not getting any better. I look over at her and she's just like, she's not even doing the right moves, but she actually looks better than what the real moves would be. And Alejandro, it's like they're actually already synced up and they haven't even met yet. And I'm thinking, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> but we get, like, it's an hour long, I think it was an hour long class. We get to the halfway point and It gives a 10 minute break. I think this is great. I'll make my way across the dance floor. I'll get back with my girlfriend. We'll do a little bit of dancing and have a chat. But Alejandro, he's way quicker than me. He floats across the dance floor. He swipes in and he asks to dance because that's what dancers do. They dance during the break as well. I thought we were going to sit down and have a beer or something. So as he does that, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, now I look stupid because I'm not going to ask anyone else to dance, but I don't really want to run away. So I I looked and I saw the toilets. So I ran to the toilets to pretend I need to pee because that's a safe space to hide when you're insecure. So I get in there. And I'm standing at your eye and I'm looking at I don't really pee, I'm looking at my pasty white penis and I'm thinking, I bet you like, he's got like, a really, like, way better, nicer brown penis. He's like, probably even got like a six pack on it or something. He's like, probably got like some cool tattoo on the side of it and probably got like, jewellery and everything. I'm thinking like, yeah, like, she shouldn't even really be with me. Like, they've got the same language, they dance together, like, their babies will look better. I'm mean, thinking, like, stop eating, just go wash your, put some water on your face, get your head back into it, you're gonna be okay. So I washed my hands, washed my face, gave a bit of a shake to my face, like fucking get your shit together. I walked outside, it was still five minutes to go, like the slowest five minutes ever, I thought, okay I'll do what any self respecting an Irish man would do, and I went to the bar and bought a beer. Because that was another safe space, the toilet was the first safe space, I went to the next one was the bar, I stood with a beer, and I'm thinking like, there was three classes going on at the same time, It wasn't anyone I was in the whole place having a drink except for me, I'm just standing there, and I'm feeling okay, but we get back into the class, and I'm thinking okay, look, another half an hour to go, we get through it, I see Alejandro and my girlfriend, they're paired up. They're smiling, they both got the beautiful smile, they both got the moves. I look away just to avoid it. I'm still stepping on toes, kicking shins. We get to the end of the class, and thinking, that's great, I feel good about it, it's done, it was a nice thing to do. But i am changed forever, you know, like, I've got to 32 years of age thinking, I'm not one of them insecure, jealous lovers. And all of a sudden, everything I've ever believed was wrong. And here I am, I'm, I'm realising, like, everything's changed forever, like, and I tell her this on the way back home in the car, and she laughs her head off. She thinks it's the funniest thing ever because she explains to me the perspective of like Alejandro was the equivalent of a Baz or a Bruce here in Australia. You know, she grew up in Cocobana where those guys were just effortlessly floating across every esplanade there is. And, and I was the Pacey Irish guy who was kind of the novelty, like the exotic guy in the class. So it was just a good of perspective to kind of take that like bird's eye view on things and, and get away from, from the fear. But I think like the main thing I'd like you to take away from that story is like if you. You know, if you are someone that deals with insecurity or jealousy in a relationship, well, that's a good thing because it's not until you're aware of something that you can you know, release it and let it go. And for any of you that maybe hasn't ever experienced insecurity or or jealousy in a relationship, like your time will come and and there will be like an Alejandro or uh, maybe an Alejandra, like, metaphorically maybe or in reality, but they'll be waiting behind the, around some corner and they will be prepared to fuck your wrists when really you least expect it. So just keep an eye out for that. And um, that's all for me, folks. I hope you enjoy the rest of
1: your night. Thanks for having me. From the dance halls of Brisbane, we head to Ethiopia with Gideon Nzembi, who is also the founder of Zambition. So check him out and listen to his story.
5: Follow your gut. So I've got two quick stories I want to share. I'm aware that uh, eight minutes is over. Oh, limit so it might go probably eight and a half minutes but two stories quick stories first one this one let me take you back to 2016 Ethiopia why Ethiopia well uh, around that time I'd probably been seeing my missus for about four years and uh, I wanted to see how her side of the world gets down so there we were in Ethiopia fast-forward the experience I find myself at a bar a local bar back then I was a drinking man today I'm sober So there I was at the bar and I asked the bartender, give me your strongest drink. And they said they had a drink called Arake. I like the name of it, It sounds dangerous. Give it to me, I said. He said, but first let me warn you, this drink is very dangerous. I said, ah, shut up and give me the drink. You don't know who I am, I'm on Google. So he gave me the first (laughs) shot. I knocked that bad boy back. Said, give me another one, he said, my friend, this drink, you must be very careful. I said, shut up and give me the drink. Knocked it back. I said, fuck it. we go for a trifecta. Bam, <laughs> three down. A gravy chaser. Told the missus, let's have a chat. We sat down. You know, we got into the conversation. Suddenly I started to feel a little tipsy. And uh, I thought, oh, right, we need to go back to the hotel. It was time to walk. We were about four and a half K walk back to our hotel. Suddenly there was a rumbling feeling in my stomach. I said, oh, babe, mm-mm. Mm-mm. something's happening we need to find a stoppage so you're right babe I said Mm-mm. this is not good so i said, All right, babe. Uh, we'll find a toilet I said yeah quick so that is if you're gonna spew you're gonna to... what is it I said I don't know right now but my stomach is upset so there we are now Ethiopia the park we were has got very big roads so it's nothing like Australia where you wait for the red light or green light to come and you cross you're talking about five, six lanes, cars just doing whatever speed limit they feel comfortable with. We were on one side of the road, waiting for the cars and the traffic to slow down. I said, babe, we need to find something quick." She's sitting there just doing the old happy feet on the pink wings. I don't know, babe, I don't know. I don't know. I said, all right. We have to cross. We, we just have to risk it. We looked left we we right, and traffic was just starting to pick up by this, by this time. And I said, ah, oh, shit, forget about it. Boom. I said, babe, fuck it, we need to cross. So we started making our way across the road, picking up the pace, picking up the pace, halfway, crossing the road, I said, babe, it's too late, forget about it, go ahead without me, tell them about me.
3: <laughs> My calf
5: muscles was uh, filled up with everything that I had for lunch that day. I said, forget the toilet, we need to find a new pair of shorts. <laughs> so we did, we found a quick bus, get over to say, take whatever we have, give us those pair of shorts. Found the nearest toilet, got changed. Kobe Bryant shoved the pants in the bush and uh, continued on the day. Now, story number one. Story number two is a little bit more inspirational. Um, As it says in my my intro, I am an actor. And how this journey began is quite bizarre for me. Um, My background was originally rugby league and I did aspire to become a professional rugby league player, but it is what it is. Uh, This event takes in 2012, we were in Sydney. My brother had a film that was premiering at a theatre. There we were, we watched the movie, fast forward time, again, found myself at a bar. Out of all places, back then I was a drinking man, today I'm sober. So I'm at the bar and I'm waiting to get this drink at this after party that was, uh, I can't describe it, the only way I can relate it is, think about the great Gatsby meets Avatar. The bar's fully lit, all the drinks look sparkly, there's leaves hanging everywhere, everybody's dressed to the nines. I've just got a muscle tee, jeans, and a pair of chucks on. I look around, I said, damn, I do not belong here. There is still still sitting there waiting at the bar for my drink, I'm wondering when am I gonna get served? I look over to my right and there's a gentleman patting down his pockets. Damn. I said, this man must have forgot his wallet. But something inside my gut said, asked him if he needs a hand. I said, "Excuse me, sir. Do you need a hand?" He said, "Yeah, I think I left my wallet back upstairs." I said, "Don't no worry, I'll get this drink for you." I reached in my pocket, opened up my wallet, and the last twenty-dollar note was sitting there. I thought, Ah, fuck it. Grabbed the twenty. I said, "Listen here, ma'am. I'm paying for this man's drink." I handed over the twenty. She hands me back two dollars. <laughs> I said, "Not enough." Ah, is he
3: drinking?
5: <laughs> I well. I had to keep it cool. Don't have to let everybody know you're doing it tough. Put the two dollars away. The gentleman thanked me. He proceeded on with his night. The lovely bartender asked me what I'm drinking. And I said, water now. Hold back on the ice. I'm living, I'm living on the edge. The night continued. I'm walking around sober, trying to pick up. Sorry, baby, don't tell the story Walking around, trying to pick up. Left, front, centre. Sober, doing it tough. The night comes to an end. And this gorgeous, lovely young lady walks up to me and hands over a card and says, call this number tomorrow. Black card, it had a name on it and a mobile number. Nothing else, no business name whatsoever. The next day I wake up, I call the number. G'day, my name's Gideon Zengbe. I was given this card last night to call. I don't know for what reasons, but a lovely young lady gave me this card. She said, all right, Gideon, write down this address and get here as as, as soon as you can. So I did. But a big butter fast forward time, I pull up to this big gates, thinking what the hell is this? Security guard comes out, checks for my ID, looks at the ID, looks at me, looks at my ID. I said, my well, man, that's me, let me in. Through the gates we go. Fast forward, I enter this big building. And I was greeted by the lovely young lady that gave me the card. She said, get in right this way. Uh, you're about to meet the directors and this, that and the other. I said, what the hell, what's going on? I walked in the room. They sized me up, asked me a series of questions, which I, you know, confidently answered, and I was done with that room. I entered the next room, I met a gentleman by the name of Gavin Hood. Do you have another name? Gavin Hood, South African accent on him. I said, yeah, you from South Africa, How's it, in my room. We chatted, we continued. I didn't think anything of this man on the stage. She pushed me over into the room, she said, you get your costume ready. I said, shit, all right. They sized me up, put me in some outfits, and we we're done. She said, sign this right here. I signed a piece of paper. I said, what's this? She said, this is an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, which means you can't say anything you've seen here or talk about this project. I said, what's the project? She said, nah, this is X-Men Wolverine, starring Hugh Jackman. Uh, you're a featured x this. I said, God damn, just like that? She said, just like that. <laughs> I turned around, <laughs> and in Boston, the gentleman, that i bought the drink for Come to know he was the head casting director for Exxon Wolverine. He said, Young man, first of all, here's your $20 back. I said, Shit, a little too late. <laughs> Secondly, he said, What you did for me that night, I looked in your wallet and I saw those last 20. And not only that, I noticed the whole night you never got yourself a drink. And such so gesture gesture was moving that I felt like I had to pay back and something. And so there it was. Uh, he landed my first role on a Hollywood set, which inspired me to obviously work on my craft and become an aspiring actor, which has led me here today. Now, the reason I share these two stories is, the moral of the story is simply this, follow your gut. Sometimes you end up in some shit, and sometimes
1: it'll be prosperous. Follow your gut. Thank you. Our final story for this week, oh I know, is Michael Bay, Michael's a theatrical director here in Brisbane, and he's got a show opening called Vincent River, so check it out if you are in Brisbane. He's traveled around the world studying, and now he's back in Brisbane pursuing his passion as a theater maker. Enjoy Michael's story. The story I'm
0: going to talk about tonight is a bit of a memory, it's a bit of a memory play, it's a bit of a memory story. I've got some notes, so I forgot mind. Um, my story begins, well, back in the early 70s, I suppose, on the Atherton Tablelands, which is in fun of Queensland, inland from Cairns, 3,000 feet above sea level, beautiful little place called Melanda, where I grew up. Um, and it was an amazing place because it was a place of, of, of hope and beginnings and, and all wonderful kinds of things. And I didn't come. I didn't start out in a very wonderful family. I have to admit. Um, I had a father who believed that um, three uh, thousand kilometers between him and his children was probably too close. So I had a mother who raised us from the beginning, my sister and I, and um, and two incredible women who were my grandmothers, and they were all storytellers, and they empowered me i think as a storyteller and i had a mother who worked in um in in drapery and selling furniture and so uh, and and she ended up owning a shop in this tiny little town and i used to have to be someone who you know learned how to cut curtains and do all this kind of stuff and and would um, drive the old truck and deliver furniture and everything and so i think i learned a lot about space and and design and, and all of that kind of thing from my mum without even realising it. But the thing that I really wanted more than anything else was as opposed to, to leave that place and to go on a journey. And I think I did that because when I was a boy, she gave me this atlas, and it was for my 10th birthday, I think, and it was this hardcover atlas, and I remember opening it up, and there was this incredible uh, little poem that said, The world is wide, the seas are green. Yet hills and mountains I have not seen. Here in my chair I sit and stare. What will I do, O oh brother? And I used to read that and read that and read that and look at all the countries in the world and plan where I would go and plan my trips and plan my discoveries. And so eventually my first discovery took me from Milanda on the other Thailand to Brisbane which I remember getting here and going, wow, look at those those buildings, they're so tall. And I'm talking the mid-80s. So they weren't that tall then. Um, and, and I went to university and I fell into studying drama uh, when I discovered that you could do drama as part of a literature major at UQ. And it was amazing. All of a sudden I'm learning about, you know, 15th century drama and, and contemporary drama and all kinds of stuff and the work of Peter Brook, and the work of uh, Joseph Brutowski, and we had this, this professor who would just come back from Paris where he'd been working and studying um, with the Théâtre du Soleil, uh, with Ariane Mnuchkin. And I thought, that's the kind of theatre I want to make. I want to make theatre that makes a difference. Do you know, I've actually never been on a film set in my life. If you said, make a film, I'd say, well, here's the camera, I'm going to stick it and point it at you, and I know there's something called, you know, um, finding your mark, and close up, etc., etc. I don't know much about film at all. I'll freely admit it. My passion is working on a stage with people, alive, in that moment. And my favorite place in the world is to actually stand on the side of the stage when the show's happening, in that liminal space where these incredibly brave people call actors cross over and go from being them to becoming this hybrid character, creature, that where they tell amazing stories. And so, for me, as a storyteller, I like to enable other storytellers. That's, that's my gig, I suppose. And so, I followed my gut to Brisbane, and then, after a, cu- a few years, and after study, and after going out and teaching, and then going back and doing an honours degree, I suddenly found myself being su- someone suggesting, apply for a Fulbright, go to America. And I'd already been there once and I'd spoken to people at Carnegie Mellon and they were really groovy and great people. I can't believe I just said groovy. I apologise. take it back. Um, They were wonderful. Um, My my son would cringe. Um, But um, so a few years later, I find that I've applied for a Fulbright. I've got the Fulbright. I've applied to go to Carnegie Mellon. And the guy there who runs the program says, don't come to LA. That's ridiculous what i want you to do is put everything you've got onto used to be vhs so back in the day and so put it all on vhs and send it to me which i did and the next minute i was in the mfa directing program at carnegie mellon and my world had just turned upside down and, and i was there in pittsburgh and it was amazing and breathtaking because all these people did was dream and think and believe and imagine through theatre. It was just so wonderful. And what was even better was that the Moscow Art Theatre School were in residence. And and that was just so incredible because I was working with people who had almost worked with Stanislavski. And what so many of us learned about what Stanislavski meant and what he did is most of it's wrong. Um, and... I was working with this guy called Adolf Shapiro, who then chose an assistant, and he chose one assistant director out of the directing pool, and he chose the Australian. And the Americans weren't very happy about that, and I was the Australian that he chose. And so my job was to sit against the wall and keep my mouth absolutely shut and watch as he directed in Russian, and this incredible young bloke called Sasha would translate and to the actors who were not Russian but who'd come from all around the world. And so, that he was working on The Three Sisters. And I still remember this day when it wasn't my gut that was alive, it was every part of me. He, when he, he, as a director, did what you shouldn't do, he said, oh, that was terrible. Um, I want to show you how to do it. But this is a 68-year-old man who's in his jeans and his, and his jumper. And he goes up on stage and starts to play Natasha in The Three Sisters. And all of a sudden, my friend, who's in the program, and who's playing Olya, and standing at the window, she's crying. She's sobbing. And the other actors had totally changed. They, and, and the hair on the back of my head was standing up. And my, the hair on my arms was standing up. And, and I thought, this is the best piece of theater I've ever seen in my life. This man has totally transformed his energy to play Natasha. And I thought, that's the kind of theater I want to make. I want to make theatre that, that enables and empowers actors and mythologises characters and takes people in the audience on this great, phenomenal, wonderful journey. That's what I want to do. And I want to make theatre that somehow emboldens humanity. I'm not interested in doing the Broadway musical, unless the Broadway musical can help people find a better version of them. That's why I make theatre. How many minutes is that? Okay, so um, so I was there, and then of course, all good things have to come to an end. Um, and I came back to Australia, I, I turned it into a PhD. We started a theatre journal called Ignite here in Brisbane. Um, this is back in the late 90s. And I never finished the PhD because I was too busy doing so many other things. And, and then, you know, um, life changes and all of a sudden I'm a dad and I need a full-time job and I go back to my teaching career because it pays full-time and you know how hard it's to get full-time youth in the arts, it's impossible pretty much. And then I have students saying to me, the, 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 the way forward is really limited, how do I, how, you know, if I don't go to QUT and do an acting program or, or, or somewhere else, what do I do? And, and what if I... And so I created an independent theatre company that was about emerging artists and it was called um, Heartbeast Vicious Theatre Ensemble because the most important, best moments in your life are vicious. Um, and I mean vicious in a good way. I mean like that moment you dash across the traffic and you you make it to the other side. Um, or the moment it's been... It's, you go outside and there's an incredible storm and you can see the, the forked lightning and and you can smell that incredible smell after the rain or you, you walk under a tree after it's been raining or you can smell a rose or that kiss that you remember that one kiss that's beautiful and perfect and lovely and you take with you for the rest of your life. That's what I meant by the, the vicious theater ensemble and it was I suppose it was, it was empowered and, and the ideas of it came from companies like the Théâtre du Soleil and, and, and I wanted it to be about the mythologisation of who we are. Let's not, I don't want to see Home and Away on stage, I don't want to see Home and Away at all, but, <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, but show me more, give me more, make me want to cry and, 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 and not because I empathise as an audience member, I want to be beyond empathy in the audience. So that company went for a while, and then it kind of changed form. The people involved wanted got, got frightened. They wanted to do different kind of things, and then, and I went through a process of my little sister, my beautiful little sister, uh, having gone through a second lot of cancer. Finally, she died, and um, left behind a little two-year-old boy. And then, and then my nana died, and then my oh no, my grandma first, and then my nana, and then my mum. and then my granddad and and I became the eulogist. Really great at giving eulogies. I'm available for hire. Um, and, and and I would tell their stories. And I always spoke from the gut and I always spoke from the heart. And and I kind of went away from theatre, not very much. I still did like two plays a year, but that was not many for me. And um, and then about three years ago my beautiful friend Peter Priest said I think it's time we did something else. And we started, what are we going to call it? And I said, oh, uh, the curators made it up then and there. And we did this production of Uncle Vanya. The first time in 86 years it had been staged in Brisbane. Unbelievable. Um, And then, and and I love Chekhov. I think Chekhov is 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 amazing and, and so dynamic and so much about life. And then we did a couple of other shows and the group grew and it's metamorphosized and it's changed and I walked out of my full-time job. I just walked, I said, I'm not gonna do it anymore. It's not what I wanted, never wanted to do it. And we created an independent training program with ARC and and that's four years ago. And now we're about to preview or we're about to present this incredible play called Vincent River, which is all about love and passion and, and fear and life, and I was going to do that show 20 years ago with Penny Everingham at Metro, and it never, just never happened. And so now we've got two amazing Brisbane actors who are giving everything they've got and love it, and, and, and they're wonderful, and it's, it's, it's the kind of theater you can taste and you can touch, and it's real, and it's beyond real. It's, it's, it's in your gut, it's off your gut. So I suppose I followed my guts from Melanda to Vincent River, and it's been a long journey and it's it's taken me across continents, and it's been a wonderful journey, and I can't wait to see where my gut takes me next.
1: Well, folks, that's all she wrote in this week's episode of the Storytender podcast. Check us out across all socials at at thestorytender, the Send us an email if you want to be a storyteller at thestorychunder at gmail.com. And look for our Chunder Chat uh, in in association with 1987 Productions and That's My Cup of Tea at Wynnum Fringe. Keep looking for us at Backjock Arts and we might go regional in New South Wales as well. So it's a growing movement. Thanks for checking us out. Don't forget to also... Uh, contribute something to our Patreon or our PayPal. You can find all those out at thestorytunder.com. Okay. We'll see you next week. Again, it's been Matt Young for the Storytunder Podcast. Cheers.